Now, we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Adam Morgan. Women Thriving, Colorado Rising. The National Women's Law Center indicates the Colorado economy would see a $44.3 million increase if child care costs did not exceed 10% of family income. The report, The Economic Status of Women in Colorado 2015, reveals the state's economy would be $9.2 billion greater if Colorado women earned the same as men. The poverty rate among working women would also be cut in half. And companies embracing greater diversity saw higher sales revenue in aggregate of $599 million when contrasted with companies with lower gender diversity. This from the American Sociology Associates. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. With this type of statistical insight and similar findings from other sources, the picture is pretty clear. When women thrive, we all do rise. The Women's Foundation of Colorado since 1987 has been working to support economic opportunity and security for women across the state. The CEO and foundation president is Ms. Lauren Castile. Isn't a partnership um, so a better cool. goal? Oh, yeah. Isn't it Absolutely. ultimately Perfect. A, a better goal? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the world that I envision when I think of equity and equality. It's really our coming together from a place of shared values, knowing that we will ultimately be more productive, that businesses will have higher levels of economic success, um, they'll be more creative. We know that. Data shows that when women and diverse groups are a part of business, then the outcomes are better for everybody. Oh, yeah, they, yeah. they are there. The Women's Foundation, you do more than just stuff in Denver. You do stuff up in Larimer County with other, with other organizations around the state. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. We actually have grantees that go from Fort Morgan to Fort Collins uh, in the Eagle County, Pueblo, Colorado Springs, wow. Boulder, and Denver. So the funds that we receive from our upcoming event, for example, on October 11th, mm-hmm. our annual luncheon, uh, those unrestricted dollars are the dollars that will fuel us next year um, to be able to give grants and to support the nonprofits that are working on the ground as well as in public policy. It's good that you're able to also step in in those smaller communities, which may not have an organization like yours to support the ladies where they live in the other counties and, and cities around the state. Well, I'm glad you said that because we are the only community foundation in the state of Colorado that is focused on women and their families. And what makes us a community foundation is that we have thousands and thousands of people who support us. We give grants. We hold donor-advised funds. Um, we serve this geographic area. Mm-hmm. We have volunteers from all over the state. And not only our direct service grantees, but also our public policy uh, grants. When we go around the state talking about our research um, or when a bill is passed for child income tax credits, right. that helps everybody. Yes, it does. You do stuff, too, with uh, supporting women in child care, which you mentioned earlier. Is child care still an issue What giving with the Family Leave Act and everything else around saying you should be able to – to go spend some time with that uh, young child, right? And and so, but they but but ladies still need more support there. Well, there there's a need for more support because of the cost of childcare. You know, women can spend 
uh, a third or more of their incomes mm-hmm. on child care. Yeah. Especially if you're at a, a lower income. And if you want, you know, all children to have high quality child care, we've got to figure out better ways to make available, accessible, and affordable high quality child care. But it's one of the biggest barriers. And if no, women are working there, on different shifts. Isn't there places like Montessori schools or all these academies we well, see around that give you there are tr- There are. But if you're working yeah. a, a low-income uh-huh. minimum wage or just above minimum wage job, those may not be as accessible, even if they have yeah. some slots available. We're talking about you know large numbers. Um, sure. Also transportation. Is a barrier. Just getting them there. Yeah, just getting, just the kid getting there. there. If you don't have a car that's really reliable um, or if you don't live close to public transportation and you're taking your child, you know, I can think of one young woman who lives in Aurora. Um, her parents, who can help her with childcare, live in Montbello mm-hmm. and she works downtown. Yeah. Um, her, her job, she's beginning to move up in the world. But if that car <laughs> fails, uh, and right now the childcare is affordable because her her family is helping her out, um, but it can become a really complex web, uh, and sometimes young young people or anybody could lose a job because of a transportation issue or because think of the cost of housing yeah. now affordable housing right now it's difficult. Um, to figure it out. And we're talking about people who are hardworking. Yeah. So a lot of the programs that we support are training them, like Frazier that I mentioned earlier, who is the um, first African-American in the apprenticeship program in welding. And, you know, it's not that she hasn't been hardworking all of her life, but now she has a better pathway and a better opportunity to have economic security. I mean, Adam... For many of your listeners, you mentioned 401k when we were talking before earlier in the year when we were just kind of um, talking around not having savings or retirement plans. You know, that's scary. It is exactly that. I know something about that. Yes. (laughs) You're exactly right. Exactly right. On the other end of the spectrum, we have to support women in child care. But there are also a lot of women who are doing a lot of caregiving on the other end of the life spectrum. Exactly. Are you all working or have some special things you're looking at to support them too? Because a lot of women don't have retirement funds because they spend money on the people they're caring for. They spend their own money on that. Exactly. And that's a part of the Family Medical Leave Act. Yeah. And that legislation and the conversation that's going on in the studies in that regard, and that's why it's not just a women's issue. I don't like it when things are called a women's or a woman's issue alone yeah. because we're a part of the whole fabric of a community. But that means that it's not just when a woman has a baby or adopts a child. It's also if you have an aging parent or another ailing um, family member of some sort and you need to take some time. You don't just lose your job or support during that time as well. Uh, and it, it's applicable for men and for women. You're exactly right. I was just at the uh, Aging in America conference in New Orleans, and a lot of the presenters, that's how they framed it, was that you know all the support and direction that women give on both ends of the family, 
mm-hmm. were leaving them when they got a little older without retirement funds or not enough because they, hey, if Adam needs some help and his Social Security check ain't there, they step up and help us. It is inherent, I think, um, to our natures and I think mm-hmm. in particular in communities of color, yeah. philanthropy historically has always taken the form of supporting families and neighbors and uh you know that kind of an approach uh, but i think it's true across the board but you know there are also i can um think of men that i know who are having to help again an aging or ailing family member who needs some additional support sure. so they need that sense of security so there are a few basic things that we would like to have the playing field leveled on yeah. um, in terms of opportunity and a sense of security and pathways for the future that will benefit multiple generations, as yeah. you just said. Well, I know you've been doing a wonderful job on the program, uh, making sure that you salute men, too, that they're uh-huh. the ones who are contributing. But as you see it, what could what could men do overall to better help and support women? You know, that's a great question. I think one of the things is to give voice, um, you know, to and even to look at where there may be um, toxicity within the culture. How are we raising boys? Um, what are we teaching them that it means to be a man? Um, allowing them to also feel comfortable with their more vulnerable sides, yeah. you know, having friendships and relationships and caring with girls and not objectifying them or denigrating a young boy who might be more tender-spirited. So I think it begins early on. Uh And then in any instance, it's a question of listening. And the other thing that I would say that in the business sector, there's an opportunity for men to look at policies or ask the question, how will this affect everybody? How will this affect women? Uh, And to try to begin to lead from a place where they're also elevating women so that we are at the table. You talked earlier about women being elected to office, and uh, one of the benefits of that is having uh, more people at the table, more people in the legislative process or engaged within the public policy sphere who have awareness of issues of which we may not have been otherwise aware. Sure. um, Or can draw attention to how we can move forward in a more constructive way. But men in this office right now, I ask you in these studios to to just be conscious of the roles that women play within this space and, you know, putting women on boards, moving them into senior management, coaching someone. I remember back in the day when you and I were in television and you had been there longer than I had. And you reached out, you and um, some other people, and extended a helping hand to me so that I could learn and grow. And you believed in me and you gave me the tools for success within that field. Oh, you give me too much credit. I just Maybe needed too some much. help. A little, a little bit of help. <laughs> I just needed that some was, extra help. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. <laughs> but are, are, you, are you seeing, though, and I hate to give millennials any credit for anything at all, but are you seeing some of that being done by younger millennial men that are being much more supportive than a lot of their baby boomer fathers? You know, I think that every generation um, becomes more aware, mm-hmm. more woke, you know, as 
as millennials would say, and and that's a good thing. I mean, that's about progress. Uh, I think that social media, again, the plus side is is the creation of consciousness when it's not used as a, a tool against. It can be the best of the tool of informing and bringing people together. Yeah. Uh, and I think they're uh, more willing to enter into the realm of that which is uncomfortable. They're also growing up in a world that is generally uh, more diverse right. um, in terms of gender identity and expression, race and ethnicity and religion, uh, the the pathways that or the worlds in which they live, millennials live, are very different. I grew up my first few years literally in the segregated South yes. in the 1950s. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was in Columbus, Georgia. I know exactly what you're talking yes. about. Yes. And so when you look around today, uh, when I look at my staff and my board, you know, our staff and our board at the Women's Foundation, um, that didn't exist, the kind of diversity of thought um, as well as identity and background and lived experience that we have today. I guess one of the things that also crosses my mind, too, you have a lot of work you get done. What kind of strategies do you do to get this stuff accomplished? Well, one of the strategies is just pulling a lot of people together, but uh, research is what really informs our work. So on our website, there's a lot of research about um, what it means to be economically secure or childcare uh, costs, et cetera. And then we take that and it helps us decide who we fund and how they are doing the best two-generation work and how they can partner with us. Mm -hmm. And then public policy is another key tool, and we fund public policy organizations that take the action of our direct service grantees uh, and give attraction. And they meet together with each other so they can inform each other's work. What's happening on the ground and what's happening in the state house at the Capitol, um, those need to be in in sync. And all this is a part of civic engagement as well. Yes, and we have a civic engagement page. So if you're wondering, you know, when you call a state legislator or, sure. um, a, you know, a congressperson, what do you say? How do you write a letter? We've got guides. We'll help you find who's your district representative and let you tell your story the way that it makes sense for you. Because that's our theme for this year is many stories, one vision. And that vision for us is uh, women thriving and Colorado rising. Ms. Lauren Castile, president and CEO of the Women's Foundation of Colorado. And many, many thanks to her for sharing time with us as our guest again on this edition. To support the work or to become involved with the Women's Foundation of Colorado, do check their website at wfco.org. And save the date for their annual luncheon on Friday, October 11th at the Colorado Convention Center. Info is also at wfco.org as well. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Stay on your game. And we thank you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us. You have been listening to Mile High Magazine, a look at the issues and people shaping Colorado, presented by the Public Affairs Department of Bonneville, Denver. If you have a suggestion for a future program or a question, please send an email to publicaffairs at bonneville.com. Thanks for listening to Mile High Magazine.